Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is NaplesIllustrated.com. We have great guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. He is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking more about immigration policy and law. Dr. Keith Smith is an anesthesiologist and co-founder of the Surgery Center for Oklahoma, We'll be talking about some of the reforms that he'd like to see post-COVID-19. Sharon Kenny is the author of uh, Where Should We Eat? and also writes commentary on travel, dining, and entertainment. And Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep, will be joining us as well. It is June the 26th, and on this day in 1945 in San Francisco, delegates from 50 nations signed the nation's charter, United Nations Charter, establishing the world body as a means of saving, quote, succeeding generations from the scourge of war. The charter was ratified on October the 24th, and in the first UN General Assembly met in London on January the 10th, 1946. The idea of the United Nations began in, to be articulated in August 1941 when President uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt and British Prime Minister Winston Churchill signed the Atlantic Charter, which proposed a set of, set of principles for international collaboration and maintaining peace and security. Later in the year, Roosevelt coined United Nations to describe the nations allied against the Axis powers Germany, Italy, and Japan. The term was officially used on January the 1st, 1942, when representatives of 26 allied nations met in Washington, D.C. and signed the Declaration by the United Nations, which was endorsed by the Atlantic Charter and presented to the United War Names of Allies. In August 1944, Great Britain, the United States, and the USSR and China, USSR and China met in Dunbarton Oaks, estate in Washington, D.C. to lay the groundwork for the United Nations. Over seven weeks, the delegates sketched out the form of the world body, but often disagreed, of course, with over issues of membership and voting. Compromise was reached by the big three in the United Nations, United States, Britain, and USSR at the Yalta Conference in February 1945. And all the countries that adhered to the 1942 Declaration by the United Nations were invited to the United Nations Founding Conference on April 25, 1945. The United States Nations Conference on International Organization convened in San Francisco with over 50 nations represented. Three months later, during which time Germany had surrendered, the final charter of the United Nations was unanimously adopted by the delegates. And on this day, in 1945, it was signed. The charter was consisted of a preamble and 19 chapters divided into 111 articles called for the UN to maintain international peace and security, promote social progress, and better standards of life, strengthen international law, and promote the expansion of human rights. On October the 24th, 1945, the UN Charter came into force upon its ratification by the five permanent members of the Security Council and a majority of other signatories. The first UN General Assembly, with 51 nations represented, opened in London on January the 10th, 1946. And on October the 24th, 1949, exactly four years after the United Nations Charter went into effect, the cornerstone was laid for the present United Nations headquarters located in New York City. So that's the story, the UN. Of course, it's uh, certainly not met the challenge of its charter, but nevertheless, it um, <laughs> gets so confused with so many different issues, but irrespective, we now have it, and uh, so, so it is. Well, a total number of confirmed COVID-19 cases in Collier County has increased to 3,521 over half of them Hispanic, out of 30,854 tests with 305 hospitalizations and 70 deaths. So right now we're not seeing COVID-19 spiral out of control. You've probably heard about stories in Texas where they're probably going to start rolling back now the freedoms that people have because hospitals are starting to fill up. So I found, I found this COVID-19 column, which I think is so relevant. I think it's so important. To, it's in Issues and Insights, and an editorial board wrote this. 
Once again, the United States is undergoing a media-driven COVID-19 scare after a spike in infections. That's kind of the context. But the number of cases depends on the amount of testing. The key gauge to watch is deaths. They've been falling since April, and there's strong reason to believe they're lower than the official count really suggests. The dreaded Wuhan virus is no doubt a nasty bug worthy of our vigilance and ongoing concern. That said, its virulence, as measured by the daily number of deaths, appears to be waning. The average number of COVID-19 deaths on a weekly basis, has fallen from a peak of just over 2,000 to 700 or so. That's a roughly 65% decline, and it's no fluke, the figure that's been dropping steadily since April. Goldman Sachs' state-level tracker shows similar trends. The volume of coronavirus tests has risen 23% in the last two weeks, but positive results have increased just 1.3 percentage points to 6.2%. Meanwhile, deaths have fallen over the past two weeks by 12%. You get the gist of this? I mean, I think this is pretty important news. This is bad news for those, for a variety of reasons, who seek to plunge us back into lockdowns and social isolation, despite the proven devastating economic impacts that would have. If COVID-19 deaths aren't rising, and they aren't, the rationale for shutdown evaporates. But the rationale in the first place could have even been weaker than first thought. The reason for this might be that deaths now attributed to COVID-19 might be grossly exaggerated. Let me repeat that. Deaths might be grossly exaggerated. The evidence is substantial and has been obvious for weeks. Dr. Deborah Burks, the respected physician who heads up the Trump administration's coronavirus team, reportedly argued back in May as closed Centers for Disease Control meeting that the agency deaths estimates were 25% too high, according to a Washington Post report. Anecdotal evidence at the state level suggests that this is true. In fact, estimates may be off more than 25%. A review of Minnesota deaths through late May, for instance, found of 741 registered COVID-19 deaths, fewer than 41% listed it as the primary cause. By that standard, George Floyd, who died in police custody and tested positive for Wuhan coronavirus, could have been counted as a COVID-19 fatality had his death not been so well publicized. How could this happen? In most U.S. jurisdictions, unlike many other countries, if someone dies with COVID-19, that becomes the cause of death for official purposes. That's true even if it didn't technically cause the person's death. We've talked about this in the past. But sometimes not even being infected with uh, with COVID-19 counts. Uh, After New York reported its 10,000 fatalities in May, the New York Times revealed that 3,700 additional people who were presumed to have died on the coronavirus never tested positive. In California, San Diego County Supervisor Jim Desmond investigated 194 COVID-19 deaths through mid-May and found that only six could be clearly claimed to be caused by COVID-19 where unfortunately he had six pure solely coronavirus deaths, six out of 3.3 million people, said Desmond. You get the drift of this? Uh, the reports of deaths are way exaggerated. Washington State reported at least five of the then 828 COVID-19 deaths were actually due to the gunshot wounds. Uh, Pennsylvania had to remove hundreds of deaths from its tally for misreporting the actual causes. Same thing in Colorado. Colorado has since changed how it counts fatalities. Uh, the Center for Disease Control admits as much as ju- on June 24th, an update of the data, for 7% of the deaths, COVID-19 was the only cause mentioned. For deaths with conditions or causes in addition to COVID-19, on average, there were 2.5 additional ca- causes or conditions that uh, related to the death. Only 7% were caused by COVID-19. So in only 14 deaths out of the current total of 125,000 can COVID-19 be said to be the actual cause that in Colorado. Amazing, isn't it? Some doctors feel pressure from hospitals to list deaths as due to coronavirus, even when they don't believe this is the case, to make it look a little bit worse than it is. Uh, This is an exact quote. Even with the overcount, the number of COVID-19 deaths is falling sharply. As President Donald Trump tweeted on Tuesday, cases up only because our big number testing is up, mortality rate is way down. 
So that's the key point here. Now, Texas is going to, they're starting to run out of beds and hospitals, so they are going to uh, roll back their uh, freedoms for, for individuals. But uh, So that's one of the important me uh, methods of uh, counting. We need to be concerned about hospital beds as well. We've got plenty here in Collier County. But uh, the death number is, is uh, falling, and the death number is exaggerated. We bring this all up to remind you, this concludes, while this Wuhan bug is dangerous, it is not likely as deadly as advertised. The CDC's own estimate for what called the infection rate made early on was at 0.2.6%. The regular flu, by comparison, has a, we'll call it a, a danger of people dying of 0.1%. So using the government's own likely inflated COVID-19 death data, the IFR for Chinese origin virus is about that of a variety of a bad seasonal flu, and that's not 3.4% as first estimated. We bring this up, of course, because... Uh, it's so important that uh, we ha keep this uh, frame of reference on what's truly happening here. Let's watch the number of deaths, not necessarily the number of cases. Again, the mainstream media using it as a fear-mongering uh, on COVID-19. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning Naples, the longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury, luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Okay, coming up, Bob Levy, constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabee's.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees, the goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Show Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... 
Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And not only do they have great education programs, but a great season of productions lined up. You can get tickets now by going to golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dr. Keith Smith. He's an anesthesiologist, and he wants uh, to talk about doctors must lead post-COVID-19 reforms in healthcare. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Uh, Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Again, Cato.org, Cato.org. And we've been uh, talking now, Bob, about um, immigration reform, policy and law and so forth. And last night, the uh, Trump administration asked the Supreme Court to overturn the Affordable Care Oh, and wait a minute. That, that's not what we want to talk about. Uh, the, the, uh, the case with regard to immigration yesterday, and uh, uh, maybe you can make a comment about that. Yeah, the, by the way, the Affordable Care Act opinion is yet to be uh, issued, so it's coming up in the next... In the next few days, I think. Yeah. Um, in the immigration case yesterday, uh, the plaintiff had applied for asylum after he was uh, caught crossing the Mexican border, and an immigration officer decided that he didn't have a credible fear of persecution or torture, which is the asylum requirement. And then they they moved for what's called expedited removal, which is basically immediately de- he gets deported instead of a full removal proceeding where he gets a judicial review. So the court held 7-2, Alito wrote the decision. There was no violation of due process or, or habeas corpus because for an alien who's seeking uh, entry for the first time, the decisions of the executive uh, or the administrative officers uh, are due process. Yeah. If, uh, if, he's, if he's detained shortly after he makes an unlawful entry, then he can't be said to have um, actually entered the United States, and he only has the rights that the statutes give him, not the constitutional rights. Sotomayor and Kagan dissented, but it was a 7-2 opinion. Well, thanks for those comments, Bob. Uh, sure. So uh, there's also been a recent, a recent uh, ruling on DACA. So what's the status of the uh, DACA uh, rule? Yeah, just the court a week ago decided the uh, Department of uh, Homeland Security versus University of California. And the issue is whether um, Homeland Security's actions in winding down DACA, effectively Trump's actions, was uh, lawful as an executive order. Um, so the executive order was, was either an exercise of discretion or it was legislative. And if it was legislative, it had to comply with what's called the Administrative Procedures Act. So Roberts wrote the opinion he was joined by the four liberals. Again, an indication that Roberts is really concerned about maintaining a, an appearance of um, nonpartisanship. Um, and the, the court held that Trump's executive order um, winding down DACA was invalid. Uh, why? Because DACA was more than just uh, a discretionary opinion. Its rescission um, was a legislative act, and therefore it was subject to review under the Administrative Procedures Act. Uh, Thomas wrote the dissent, joined by three other conservatives, and he said, and I agree with this, DACA was illegally implemented by mm-hmm. President Obama, and so therefore it should have been uh, terminated. Um, I think the administration um, pursued a not a very smart legal strategy. They should have differentiated between Obama's actions that were permissible, and that would have been prosecutorial discretion and prioritizing the removal of certain classes of people. Those actions, because they were permissible, could be reversed by Trump the same way Obama established them. Mm -hmm. But there's another type of actions, and those actions that are, in Obama's case, they were actually illegal, bypassed Congress. He granted temporary status and some benefits to... Uh, illegals. Those actions, they could be terminated by Trump, but only if he gave adequate reasons and only if he followed the Administrative Procedures Act. And uh, the the administration didn't distinguish between those two, and the court treated them all as 
<coughs> dealing with legal acts and therefore subject to these detailed jump-through-the-hoops rules. Yes. So it sounds to me like uh, the president says he wants to make another run at this because he understands now that that they did not make a very good case, and I'm talking about the administration uh, with regard to DACA. So um, maybe... Now it continues, you know, but from a policy perspective, I personally think it's a good thing. But from a legal perspective, Uh you know, the court required Trump to jump through hoops in order to shrink uh, executive power, but exempted Obama when he expanded executive power. Yeah. So I think Obama may have done the right thing, but he did it in the wrong way, and he should have been should have been reversible. So interesting. So haven't other presidents exercised broad discretion over immigration? Indeed. Uh, Clinton deferred action on illegal immigrants uh, from Haiti uh, back in the 1990s, and Bush, uh, W. Bush, took uh, actions regarding illegals during Katrina. Um, the difference, I think, is that those actions were discreet. They were temporary. Uh, Obama's executive order and, of course, Trump's follow-up uh, was potentially timeless and vastly larger in scope, affecting mm-hmm. millions of uh, immigrants. So uh, Obama, just he didn't just set, uh, didn't just respond to uh, an emergency and set priorities and conserve resources. Effectively, he rewrote the law, yeah. and he created a law that Congress had expressly addressed and said no to. So, you know, imagine if a future president were to waive EPA rules or or, uh, or Dodd-Frank. Uh, the liberals would be up in arms. In the same sense, the conservatives are justifiably up in arms uh, for what Obama did in implementing uh, the DREAM Act, even though, as I say, I, I thought as a matter of policy, uh, I was sorry that Congress didn't pass the DREAM Act. Mm-hmm. So what Obama said in the past about executive overreach? Yeah, interestingly, that you know, he said after he did what he did with respect to the DREAM Act, he had said, um, this is back in 2011, interesting quote, he said, with respect to the notion that the president can just suspend deportations through executive order, that's just not the case because there are laws on the book that Congress had passed. The executive branch's job is to enforce and implement those laws. So, you know, having said that, he actually ignored his own dictate. Yeah, did it anyhow. Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, two years later, he says, if this was an issue that the president could do unilaterally, I would have done it a long time ago. The way our system works is Congress has to pass legislation, and then I get an opportunity to sign and implement it. So, sad to say, uh, those words <laughs> meant nothing to him. And uh, unfortunately, I think President Trump, to one extent, repeated some of those mistakes yeah. when it came to this executive overreach. Such an interesting topic with executive power and overreach. Bob, I just genuinely appreciate this commentary here on the show. Again, Bob Levy, the chairman of the Cato Institute, CATO.org. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Dr. Keith Smith, anesthesiologist, and he's also the uh, uh, co-founder of the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden uh, Broadcasting uh, Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples.
Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, vfga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Dr. Keith Smith. He's an anesthesiologist and co-founder of the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. Dr. Smith, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, Dr. Smith. Well, you wrote an op-ed. It's entitled, Doctors Must Lead Post-COVID Reforms. And I got pretty excited about the whole notion. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, I think American people have seen enough of what uh, Washington and their top-down central planning has to offer. And, and it's time to take the handcuffs and the chains off of the physician, entrepreneurs, uh, and innovators um, in the United States. I, I thought it was interesting uh, at the peak of the COVID um, issue, particularly with ICU hospitalization, that sort of situation, there was some fear that there may not be enough beds. There may, may not be enough ventilators. Mm-hmm. And physicians for years have been trying to build hospitals, and the government, of course, has shut them down as a favor uh, to the big box hospitals. Mm-hmm. There are also certificate of need laws that where physicians have to actually go before a star chamber of their future competitors and make the case for you know, starting an MRI unit or an ambulatory surgery center or a hospital. And it, it's going to be nice to see more and more of these regulations relaxed, and hopefully they'll be made, they'll be made permanent. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't know if you're concerned at all about, but I'm, I, in Florida, for example, we've allowed nurses to take a little bit more discretion with regard to uh, health care, so, which frees up the doctors to do more important things, quite frankly. And uh, But I, I'm also, why can't we just visit with a doctor online, for example, for our first visit to say, hey, doc, should I come in? And, you, you know, is this something serious enough for me to come in, as opposed to have to make the doctor visit in the first place? Well, well, you should be able to do that. And when when the government realized that their um, handcuffs on telehealth were preventing just what you described, mm-hmm. they relaxed those restrictions. And so Americans had more access to physicians via telehealth and all of the silly waivers that HIPAA uh, has been used to um, to handcuff that that practice uh, were relaxed, and hopefully it'll stay that way. Yeah. There's also there's also in in Florida one of the heroes of the direct primary care movement is Lee Gross. He's in Sarasota, mm-hmm. and he he is one of the fellows that has concierge medicine for all of his patients for about eighty dollars a month, and they have they have FaceTime access to him or text access to him twenty four seven. So. When when we start to see people use their health savings accounts to buy these subscription memberships to concierge practices, which I believe is is imminent, that's going to help. Uh, that's going to help promote exactly the situation you described. Well, thank you, doctor. The other thing I wonder about too is uh, doctors have to. Uh they have to get licensed and, or certified in every state and where they have a practice. Now, we have a lot of snowbirds coming back and forth. It just seems to be most people would want to con- you know, deal with their 
the doctor they trust all the time. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think um, that's a slippery slope. We have to be careful that physician licensure is not turned over to the corrupt uh, machine in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. where, where one license is good uh, in any state. I think that there are many states uh, that honor the licenses of physicians in other states, but there's absolutely no reason that a physician on a telehealth visit mm-hmm. uh, should have to have a license in the state where the patient resides. That certainly makes sense, Doctor. So in a perfect world, if we're to move forward and post-COVID-19 and have uh, all the barriers to good medicine that you'd like to see, uh, any other changes that you'd like to recommend? Yeah, I'd I'd like to see more price transparency. Uh, At the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, we have all of the prices for the procedures we perform online. So patients know what they're going to pay before they come. I think we will see more of that. I think that there will be there will be some patients that were hospitalized uh, with this virus who are going to receive surprise medical bills, and that's going to put even more pressure on the industry to subject itself to the market discipline that, that every other industry, frankly, has to endure. You know, Doctor, I, I just genuinely appreciate your championing the, uh, these needs and these causes. I think it's long overdue, quite frankly. And I think what you're saying is, hey, we have an opportunity post-COVID-19 to establish permanently what we're seeing temporarily right now. I think that would be my personal opinion is I would like to see patient-centric medicine and healthcare, where the patient basically would understand everything you just said, which is what are the costs involved here, concerned not only with quality of care, but also costs of care have some skin in the game so they have to pay for part of it so they're not doing uh, unnecessary types of things and have, uh, for example, um, uh, health care that's catastrophic care as opposed to every the first dollar type of care and have uh, health savings accounts so you could accumulate the money on a tax-free basis. That way I think it drives the cost of medicine, pharmaceuticals, and all types of things down. Yes, it does. I think the first important step for the American people is to acknowledge, and this will be hard, but to acknowledge that the federal government is responsible for everything in the United States healthcare system that the American people hate. And so the idea of throwing them the keys and, and turning it over to Uncle Sam, mm-hmm. and you know, it's giving it to the folks who, who caused this problem and the machine that caused it. I, I tell people that there's a there's a heist underway, and Uncle Sam is driving the getaway car. And I, I think that um, we need to look to the private sector. We need to look to entrepreneurs and innovators. And many of those in the United States are physicians who would like to step up and change things. But, you know, they of course, they find bureaucracy and government in their way many, many times. I know. One of my closest friends is an orthopedic surgeon. He's on the show occasionally, and... He talks about having to spend so much t- uh, screen time as opposed to patient face time <laughs> and, uh, and because of some of the impositions of technology on, on health care. So uh, I'm very sympathetic to your cause, doctor, and I'm very supportive. What can we do to support your efforts? Well, I would uh, encourage people to uh, check out our website at surgerycenterok.com. You'll see prices listed there. For all the procedures that we do, uh, there's another website, atlasbillingcompany.com, where you'll see actual prices attached to medical services. And then the most important thing is to check out and consider joining the Free Market Medical Association, which is really the engine that's driving what I believe are the most important changes, uh, more market-based changes uh, in the industry. And there are prices there on the shop health tab so people can get involved and they can they can begin the process of of acknowledging that the government is the source of all that we hate which is high prices and sporadic quality and let the market do what it does and put the bad actors out of business and promote and reward those who render value in this industry well said i'd like to get the uh uh the uh, uh, web address of that uh, last association that you mentioned. Yes, Free Market Medical Association, I'm sorry, is fmma.org. fmna.org. Yes, fm, uh, Foxtrot, Mike, Mike, 
Alpha F M M A Free M-A. Market Medical Association. I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out right after the show, Doctor, because I've got a lot of energy about this, and I just genuinely appreciate the energy that you have around this as well. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks again for having me. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to or change directions a little bit. We're going to visit with Sharon Kenny. She is the author of Where Should We Eat? She also writes commentary on travel, dining, and entertainment. We're going to find out what's on her mind. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road. And it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Yes, please do do, uh, support St. Matthew's House. They do so much good with no government funding for people who are homeless, for people who are uh, struggling or uh, recovering from addiction, for people that are needy of food. Uh, They do great work, and you can visit stmatthewshouse.org. Also, um, there's an addiction recovery program that's celebrating right now, and it's funded by, in large part by Jerry Holacek, who's the owner of Lulubee's Diner, one of our advertisers, and I hope you'll have breakfast or lunch with them at the Green Tree Shopping Center. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Beagle right now. With us, we have with us Sharon Kenny. She writes commentary on travel, dining, and entertainment. She wrote a book called Where Should We Eat? It's a great tool to have here on the Paradise Coast. Sharon, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, great to talk to you this morning, Bob, as always. Thank you, Sharon. So I understand that you've got some comments about dining right now and uh, suggestions for how we work with the white staff. Well, yeah, I was reading, um, you've been reading a lot of comments, you know, whenever, about how people are becoming on edge. Mm-hmm. You know this this whole COVID pandemic and the and the protests and everything. I think everybody's on edge, and I think we 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 sometimes take it out you can, on other people. We can see it in driving habits yeah. are getting worse. You have to be super careful now on the roads. Yeah. Um, but I think also we are so privileged here and so lucky that we have so many lovely restaurants and they're open and we can enjoy them. And I think it's really important for us to keep in mind that um, those of us who have the ability to go to restaurants um, and to afford them, that we take into account the people that are working there and how difficult it can be to, it's mandated for them to, to wear masks. And that can create what's an already difficult job as a server or, uh, you know, a line cook, only multiply the the uh, difficulty. So just a few points that I think we should all keep in mind. Number one, to be kind mm-hmm. and be, be gracious and be calm. 
um, and be grateful to the people that are serving us. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think that it's, it's, especially if we're sitting outside, oh my gosh, it's so hot outside. Can you imagine wearing a mask no. um, and, and doing working and running back and forth to the kitchen and carrying things? It's hot, it's sweaty, and, um, and it's also hard to hear. I've noticed that a lot of the masks, the cloth masks that some of the restaurant we, people are wearing, it, it's it, everybody. It seems like they're hard of hearing now because everybody's going, "What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what did you say?" Because everybody can't hear. Yeah. So be 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 kind about that, and, and just you know, I can't understand. Can you just say that again? Yeah. Um, I think don't make jokes about masks. You know, it's it, they don't have a choice. The yeah. servers in the restaurants don't have a choice about wearing the masks. Um, you don't. You do have a choice, but they don't. I would also say. Um, to be careful about the social distancing in restaurants that's required. We've already seen in Miami, they're starting to close down restaurants where the social distancing is not happening, uh-huh. like where people are gathering at bars and crowding around, and it's the restaurant that suffers. It's the restaurant that's getting shut down for 24 hours or more. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, as a result of what those, what those patrons are doing. Yeah. And so don't put the restaurant in a position where they have to police you and or they have you put them at risk of being shut All down. All right. So so riddle me this then because we we go with friends to the restaurant. We uh, we've done that a couple times, maybe a table of 4 or 6. Now we're not 6 feet apart. There's no way to do that if you're sitting at the same table. Right. I guess I guess it's the tables that have to be 6 feet apart. It's the tables that have to be at 6 feet apart, but it's the bars that are getting in trouble. Uh-huh. It's the bars where people are gathering in mass groups. Yeah. You're supposed to be separated. You know, you can have two or four people together if you're together, but you can't have, you know, how bat bars uh, yeah. tend to late at night gather big groups of people around. I actually had, I heard, w- heard one patron refer to it as virtual distancing. <laughs> <laughs> Have a few drinks, and that's what happens is a virtual distancing. We're pretty close, you know. <laughs> yes. I think also um, a couple things that I'm noticing. Um, because people have masks on, you can't see smiles. Right. And you, it's making it harder for people to get across um, good intentions. And um, uh, it, it, so what I'm trying to do um, with when I'm wearing a mask in a in a situation or if I'm con- conversing with someone is to really make a concerted effort to make eye contact. Well, you know, that's a great point, Sharon. I mean, I, I, a friend came up to me and said, hey, Bob, it's good to see you. And I literally could not recognize the person because of the mask. I didn't know who I was talking to. So, Isn't that amazing? It is. I mean, uh, it's this whole social distancing thing. It's, it's, it's not how we're designed. It's not how we're built. Exactly. So I think that, you know, even going through the checkout line at Publix, I'm making a concerted effort to have eye contact, which is what we should be doing all the time anyway. Absolutely. But to make that, and and people are really responding um, and making eye contact back, and that's taking the place of smiling. You can smile through your eyes. That's exactly right. I like that. And also, I think, um, you know, a lot of the restaurants are very busy. Especially if you want to sit outside, a lot of times the restaurants on um, the outside tables are limited. The inside tables are limited. So I would say if you see a restaurant is really busy, don't linger over your meal. Don't, you know, yeah. have, you know, just sit there with a, um, one drink and, and sit there for two hours. Be considerate of the fact that they need to turn the tables if there's a lineup yeah. of people waiting to come in. Great point. And most importantly, Make give yourself. Make sure you tip. Try to tip as much as possible. And if you can't tip well, don't go out. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking that you can't afford the tip, then don't go out. Stay home. That's great. Those are great points, Sharon. Uh, you know, uh, I mentioned to my listeners, uh, our listeners. Uh, the other day, yesterday, I guess it was, that I stopped by the uh, substation for the sheriff's office just to thank the lieutenant for the uh, and to pass on to everybody there that uh, we're so grateful for their service. You know, and uh, you're you're t- extending this type of courtesy now onto the people who service not only in the in restaurants, but as you point out, in mar- food markets and other places. So that's such an important thing to because you are right. We are all a little bit on little on edge and a little irritable, aren't we? Yes, and I read a really nice um, 
commencement address, a virtual commencement address the other day online, and he was saying if you're if you're looking for people who are inspiring, if you're looking for people who you can look to for for inspiring words or for for kind words, be that person. Be that person who's kind. Be that person who's happy. And be inspiring to others. Don't keep looking for someone to inspire you. Be that inspiring person yourself. Be the change you want to be. Boy, you're a pretty, pretty good motivational speaker, Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I genuinely appreciate your comment here in the show. And I just, uh, when is your book? You've got some time now. Are you going to uh, update your book? Well, I need to figure out where we all land. It's a little early to make any kind of uh, kind of. We have to figure out who who settles down, who opens, and who doesn't. Reop- uh, you know, there's a lot of restaurants that haven't reopened for a variety of reasons, and we can talk about that next week if you want. But um, I think you know, finding staff is a problem for a lot of restaurants, and um, and also just reopening and getting the cash flow in uh, to 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 have that reopening. And also, this is the slow season. A lot of people, I think, in the restaurant business are just going to wait it out until the fall. Uh, you know that's a great point, but uh, well, certainly understandable because you want to, you don't want to be reviewing restaurants that oops they closed. <laughs> you want to have, have cur- done that before. <laughs> yeah, have current information. Well, again, your book is where should we eat? I think it's still relevant and important, and uh, I encourage our listeners. This you're not rating restaurants; you're simply pointing out, oh, you want something romantic? Here's a good place to go. You want something that's casual? Here's a good place. You want a place on the beach? Here's a good place. And so it's a great tool in that regard. Where should we eat? By Sharon Kenny. Sharon always appreciate your commentary in the show thank you so much for joining us great to talk to you bob thank you so much all right coming up we're going to visit with dave bigo dave is the he's a, the president and founder ceo of executive management services doing business in over 40 states with over six thousand employees he was confronted by uh, union bosses from SEIU several years ago. They said, uh, we want to unionize your shop. He said, well, that's fine. You can go ahead and have a secret ballot. They said, no, we want you to sign this neutrality agreement, giving us the right to, to approach your employees, intimidate them, get them to sign up. And once they had 50% plus one, they'd be unionized by SEIU. He said, no, the only way we'll unionize is through secret ballot. They refused. They really did. And for two and a half years, they intimidated his customers, his employees. Uh, they <laughs> went through the National Labor Relations Board. They tried to, to intimidate him. They finally just slunk away like sh- rats on a sinking ship. We're going to be visiting with Dave about his situation and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. 
Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. And I do want to do a real shout-out to our advertisers here on the show who stayed with us through thick and thin over this last, actually, coming up on nine years that we've been online here on the uh, Bob Harden Show. So thank you to them, and I hope you'll patronize their businesses. They are great people and uh, just doing great things. Uh, we have with us Dave Beagle, as I mentioned before the break. He's the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep, the story of his dealing with union bosses, as I explained the story over the course of two and a half years. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on, Bob. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Dave. And so uh, right now, I, I just can't even believe what's going on with all the the destruction. The, the <laughs> Politically, you just can't, you can't make this up in terms of what it's doing to our culture. Are the unions involved in any of this? Well, I'm sure they are behind the scenes, Bob, and, um, you know, especially with Black Lives Matters and Antifa and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. of course, uh, the SEIU, um, you know, they were hand-in-hand hand with Soros, I'm sure behind the scenes they still are, and um, the um, it, it's really sad, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, and then the thing that's going on with the police unions, um, it, it's sad, too, because the problem with police unions is um, they use the collective bargaining to protect too many bad cops from discipline, right. and uh, so instead of, you know, when you have people out there doing these things, um, you know, and... Uh, having them, you know, have to be, um, you know, go through a process uh, with the um, the leaders of the uh, police force. Um, the collective bargaining agreement doesn't allow the, uh, the police force captains and whoever else to uh, address these people and stop them from doing these bad things. And, you know, if you think about this, this is a good thing for the unions behind the scenes because they have people do this stuff to, Throw the violence up. So, you know, here's the thing, though. You bring up a good point. Why do we have public sector unions in the first place? That makes absolutely no sense. And to your point, uh, the officer who had his leg on the neck of uh, George Floyd, he had several complaints, several. Uh, he probably would have been fired had it not been for the union support. My point is this, that why, you know, we shouldn't have public service unions in the first place. I know, but years ago, Bob, you know, back in the day when, and i got to bring this up, when the mob started the unions, um, you know, they infiltrated the government and uh, forced our uh, people in office to uh, uh, allow them to force unionize all the public employees, you know, federally and state and local across the country. And, you know, uh, our government hasn't done anything to uh, stop that stuff, and they should do it because... You know, this is one of the problems. And another one of the problems that I want to talk about is, um, you know, a, a lot of this problem, you know, they talk about uh, in the communities um, that, uh, you know, blacks aren't getting the education they need and other stuff like that. But, you know, and this goes to your point that the uh, the unions are in the public sector and they're also, you know, public school systems, they unionize the teachers. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, the teacher unions, um, they're, they're, they, they continue to gain in their fight to stop students and resources from moving towards a, a charter schools or private schools. Right. And, and, and it's in the charter schools and the private schools where kids learn more. They're, they're taught how to be better people and, and move through life and handle things, you know, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Where in the public schools, they don't go through this success type of thing. And the union are trying to bring down all the charter schools because they can't unionize the teachers. You know what? That is such an important point. And uh, we're working very hard here in Florida to have school choice. A number of programs and initiatives right now that are encouraging that. But you know what? You're absolutely right because locally, oh, you just watch the behavior of the superintendent of schools or the, the uh, unions. They do whatever they can to throw a barrier in front of opening new charter schools. Yep. And that's, and that's, it's, it's all about, and people understand this, you know, and, and there's some good unions out there. I'm not totally anti-union. Right. Um, the, um, uh, the problem is out there is that the unions, they, you know, they've lost membership over the last many years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're down to 10% or less than the workforce. And they used to be 35 to 40%. And uh, their goal is to, to get back up there and, um, 
you know, control business and control this country. And, you know, another thing i got to tell you that I think is pretty interesting, and I've heard it on Fox and, and a couple other news stations, uh, they talk about the media mob. And the reason they say mob is because they don't want to say that the media is controlled by the unions, but they, what they're saying is that uh, using the mob to kind of cover their union, uh, what they're saying. Yeah. But the unions, you know, they were started by the mob back, you know, 40-some years ago. Hmm. And uh, they, do control the, um, they do control the media because, you know, even when my second book came out, The Devil at Our Doorstep, and I sent it to CNN and MSNBC and Fox and other stations, and that was back in late April of 2012. Um, and I called them and sent them emails and that. To this day, not one of them responded to me, and I'm sure it's because, as I say in my second book, Glenn Beck got fired because uh, he did a couple shows on the SEIU, and, um, you know, they went after Fox's advertisers, and Fox lost revenues, and... Um, they uh, called Fox, told them to fire them, and they'd leave their advertisers alone. Yeah. And I'm sure when they saw me on these stations talking about the SEIU and, you know, their um, uh, forced unionism and, uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff, they called all the stations I'd been on and said, don't have him back on or we'll go after your advertisers. Uh, that's, so. th- that's why it's the, the media mob. Okay. Yeah, absolutely, Dave. So, I mean, one of the things that was happening, the Supreme Court issued a, a ruling, as I recall, and maybe you can clarify, that said that public service uh, union members did not have to pay dues if they didn't want to, so they could opt out. Is that, number one, did I get that right? And number two, if it's right, are we seeing people leave the union? Well, you know, there was the, um, the um, one from out west that uh, the Supreme Court approved, and... Uh, yeah, some have, but others haven't, because behind the scenes, uh, the, the union members are being intimidated by the union bosses to stay with the union, and they better. Um, and so not as many people have dropped out as what we thought would. And, um, you know, and with right to work, which, you know, I helped to get right to work passed in Indiana and Michigan, mm-hmm. um, you have some of the same problem, even though um, anybody and everybody can drop out. Uh, a lot of them are afraid to because they're being intimidated behind the scenes by the union bosses. Unbelievable. Dave B- uh, Bigo again, the author of The Devil on Our Doorstep. Hey, I don't know if you saw the news. This is kind of off topic, but I found it so interesting. Uh, Nike reported a surprise loss yesterday due to uh, COVID-19, they claim. Uh, but, it, you know, to me, I'm just it's $790 million loss is what they suffered at the end of May 31st, about a loss of 51 cents a share. I'm sure there's a variety of factors involved in this, and, and certainly I'm probably making, there's a number of things that are concerned, but I hope they take a look at supporting Colin Kaepernick and his campaign. I mean, Michael Jordan once said, conservatives buy sneakers too. Hopefully they're going to wake up and understand this and uh, won't take a knee along with Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, that's exactly right, because Americans need to stand up and support this country. Um, we're not perfect, but we're the greatest nation in the history of the world, and we give people the opportunity to grow and move up in life and stuff like that. But, you know, some of this stuff that they're saying is because of uh, the Civil War and, and uh, racism in this country is really behind the scenes being driven by the far left who want to bring down this country. Absolutely. I mean, there is no, we are not a racist society. I just, this is all orchestrated and it's simply shaming and uh, in order to gain power. It's a political movement. It's got nothing to do with supporting black people. It's got everything to do with power and money. Well, that's exactly right. And then control, because a lot of these people, they they don't really know or understand or want to, uh, work in a capitalistic free market society. They want to work in a socialist communist society where they just control everything and they set the rules. And if you don't follow them, they come down on you. Yeah. And um, you know that's the way it is. But you know, I, I'm. I have to tell you, Bob, when I'm out, uh, like yesterday, I had to go out and uh, after work and pick up a few things. And I was at a store to to pick up uh, some groceries for my wife. And um, I was looking in the bread aisle for a certain thing, and I. I couldn't find it, and there's this black lady standing there, and she says, can I help you? And I said, yes, please. And she says, what are you looking for? And I told her, and she's looking around, and she found them way down on the bottom shelf, all the way to the back part of the shelf where you couldn't see it unless you got way down there, and she got them out for me. Yeah. And I said, thank you, ma'am. You're such a nice person. Yeah. And this is, 
I think this goes on in America all the time, and the people need to wake up to that. And it, it was just such a nice thing. Yeah, well, that's a great interaction, and it, I think it speaks volumes about the relationship between people. It's got nothing to do with race. It's got it's to do with we're all humans. We're all individuals. I, I, I'm going to end this, this segment with a quote from Denise D'Souza, one of my favorites. He says, I think if people want to wipe out reminders of slavery, segregation, and white supremacy, we might consider getting rid of the Democrat Party. I, I agree with them 100% because the Democratic Party is controlled by the unions. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, all the money that they show that, you know, Biden and the Democratic Party is um, raising is coming from, uh, from the unions right now. Yeah. And uh, that's the big thing. And, uh, you know, um, and, uh, you know, you talk, going back to business, you're talking about Nike and that. But, you know, essential companies like us, uh, we're so busy across the country cleaning places up and, uh, making them safe for people to come in and stuff like that. Bob, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, we're just, uh, it's, it, it's, it's amazing. Great to hear. Dave Beagle, again, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Go to the devil at our, thedevilatourdoorstep.com. You can get a copy of the book on my website at a nice discount, and, of course, at any book purveyor. Dave, just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on. You have a great weekend. You as well. Thank you, Dave. Well, that's a wrap on here on today's show. I hope you'll join us on Monday. We have great guests lined up. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>